you guys all Christmas out, yeah? You know I kind of am. It's been a busy week. And uh, yeah, ready to kind of get back to kind of what I would call normal. Uh, this morning we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, 1 to 7. And as you turn there, uh, the story goes of a captain out at sea in bad weather. The captain was on the bridge of the ship, and it was foggy. And just after dark, the lookout spotted a light um, on the starboard side. And the, the captain asked if it was steady or moving. The lookout replied that it was steady, meaning that they were on a direct clipping course with the ship. And so the, the captain ordered the lookout to signal to the other ship, and the signal goes out, change course 20 degrees. We're on a collision course. The signal comes back, advisable for you to change course. Captain signals, signaled, I am a captain. Change course 20 degrees. The reply came back, I'm only a seaman second class, but you had better change your course now. Well, at this, the captain is furious, and he sends back the reply, I am a battleship. Change your course now. And the reply comes back, I'm a lighthouse, your call. <laughs> you see, it's, it's tempting to adjust the course of the gospel to suit our likes, to suit our preferences, rather than adjusting our own course. You know, we have, and this is an ever-present danger in today's world, we have uh, what we know as prosperity teachers and preachers we have numerous denominations, and we have offshoots of this and that, and we have all these different things. And it's often heard that Christianity is, is complicated, and, and, and unbelievers will say, like, I, I don't want to adhere to all these rules, this list of rules that Christianity has. And, and so the gospel really isn't complicated. We complicate it by taking certain things in Scripture and saying, Okay, I don't really like this. I'm going to twist this. I'm going to take this out. I'm going to add this in. And I'm just going to kind of make it to what I want to sound like. And then we chalk it up as a cultural difference. You know, it's 2,000 years ago. It's, it was different back then. Or even worse, a leader does this, gains a mass following of people, starts a church, and leads people down this skewed version of the gospel. God never intends it to be this complicated. The gospel stands firm and doesn't change. And if we don't like something, we, don't need, we need to be the ones to make corrections to our course, not to the gospel. We need to avoid that collision course. This morning we're going to see just how important it is to keep the gospel as plain and simple. So I have two main objectives, objectives this morning that I hope to accomplish through uh, a couple points. And Tanya, is this going to keep ringing? Or should we switch back to the, uh, the other mic? I'll give it a little bit longer, and if it's not, then we'll go to the handheld. That's not a big deal. I'm used to that guy anyways. Bring it up. All right. Yeah, first I want us to realize that we can be used by God even though we are weak and fragile. 
And secondly, I want to answer the question that is going to arise this morning. How can we carry the treasure of Jesus and let our light shine boldly for Christ this coming year? Let's dive into our text this morning. 2 Corinthians 4, 1-7 is going, to, is going to be where we're going to park uh, this morning for the majority of the morning. And it's not going to be on the screen because I was a little bit late in getting uh, some of my notes in. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to there. If you need a Bible, there's some back in the library. We'd be happy for you to borrow that. Starting in verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Let's pray. God, it's not much, but I just pray that you would take uh, the word that you've helped me prepare and uh, help me to to speak plainly and clearly this morning. And that we can grasp your truth, your word this morning. Let's pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so Paul is talking about the defense of the gospel here and how it needs to be a clear, non-deluded gospel. Because the chapter starts with a therefore, I just want to spend a couple of minutes and, and kind of go back to chapter 3, grab our foot in a little bit, and, and see what this ministry exactly is. And then we're going to dive into chapter 4. Um, so I, when I was reading chapter three, I was like, man, this is really good. Like I should just preach on chapter three. There's lots of little tidbits in here. And then I was like, man, well, then I miss all the good stuff of chapter four. So then I was like, maybe I should preach on chapters three and four in a one hour family service. But then I thought that maybe everyone wouldn't come back to Eldon next week. And, and so maybe that wouldn't be a good idea. But chapter 3 has a lot of good stuff that kind of sets up um, this chapter 4. The majority of the chapter has Paul contrasting between the Old Covenant, which is the law, and the New Covenant, which is the Gospel. He foreshadows and sets up chapter 4, alluding to this ministry that we have and how much more glorious this is than the, gospel, than the, uh, than the law, than the New Covenant, which is the Gospel. In fact, uh, chapter 3 foreshadows almost the entire, uh, the whole chapter foreshadows almost the entire chapter the way through. Paul makes mention about the law given to Moses and how he had to veil his face from the Israelites because of his radiance. Then uses the significant words which glory was passing away. You can look it up to show that this glory on Moses' face wasn't, Lasting, it wasn't permanent. 
And then he shifts focus a little bit from Moses' face to the Jewish people and how the Jewish people were veiled. And Paul wasn't saying the law wasn't glorious. He's just, he's contrasting how much more glorious the gospel is than the law. Look at the, the first, the last half of verse 2. Um, I was reading from the ESV. In the NIV it says, On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in light of God. The other versions might say manifestation of the truth. Okay? So the question comes, how do we set plainly, how do we manifest the truth in a clear way? We can do this by two ways. We can do it by telling it as it is, and we can do it by living it. And those two things better line up. Because if our, our words and our actions don't necessarily line up, then sooner or later, probably sooner, someone's going to come along and say, hey, you know what? This isn't making sense to me. And, and hopefully this is a Christian mentor in your life and not someone you're trying to reach for the gospel. Hopefully someone could come along and correct you. Our words and our actions have to line up. One commentary I found words it this way. It says, you have preachers who are not sharing a straight message, and you have people who don't want a straight message. The people don't want to take anything that's hard to swallow. They generally want what's easy and sweet to the senses. They want someone who will give them a prescription for candy-flavored, chewable medicine. See, there are people out there who don't even want a straightforward gospel. Who they go out and they look and they say that they want the warm, they want the fuzzy, they want the feel good, they want their Starbucks flavored medicine. They can come in and sit in church and just do what it takes to make them feel comfortable. To make them feel like they are close to God. And they are unaware or they just don't care of the danger that lies within twisting and complicating the gospel. Well, how, well, what happens if we do complicate it? What is the danger? What's the danger of a watered-down gospel? One, doesn't build a firm foundation. Right? In 2010, uh, there was a massive earthquake outside of Haiti or in Haiti, and uh, just over 500,000 people died in this quake. One of the main causes for all these casualties was untempered mortar. So there's greedy contractors who would build these buildings, and they had the wrong percentage of concrete mixed with mortar and iron rebar, which enforced the concrete. And so when it was all said and done, and the buildings were built and looked good and looked up to code, but when the earthquake hit, these fragile, frail buildings crumbled without contest. Now, and here in BC, we're not unfamiliar with code of earthquake building, building uh, earthquake building codes. Right? We, have, we know that we have to build 
buildings a certain way here because uh, when and if an earthquake hits, uh, the building needs to be able to move with it. So these contractors were on the hook, were at fault for all of these casualties, or, or a lot of them. As Christians, if we sugarcoat the message that we're sharing, and someone is won over based on what we've said, then we're at fault. And if that person's foundation crumbles, then we're at fault. As many of you know, uh, I'm the youth director here, and I've been in a part-time youth ministry for 12 years. And of those 12 years, of those 12 years, um, there's one question that arises. Right? And it doesn't only arise in, in our youth group, but it arises in multiple youth groups and even in congregations today. And it's the question of how many students do you have? And how many congregants do you have? It's not a terrible question, but I don't think it should be the first question. So one poor, unsuspecting soul one day um, came up to me and asked me the question. I don't know who it is. Probably somebody who doesn't talk to me anymore. Um, but asked me this question, and I turned to him and I said, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to first answer the question I wish you would have asked. And that question is, how are you reaching students for Christ? The next question you should ask is, is it working? And then you can ask, how many students are you affecting for the Christ? For Christ? Because if you ask me how I'm, so I actually went and I explained to him, okay, this is, this is our format, this is what we do, this is how we run our youth ministry, and gave him our whole philosophy of youth ministry, and then I said, so how many students are we affecting um, for Christ in this ministry? 15 to 25. And is it working? I really hope so. See, in youth ministry, you have to change the way you're doing things almost yearly. In fact, we're thinking of changing the way we do things this coming year because we are seeing we're not reaching as many people as we can. And so, you know, we need, to, it, it can be fine and good to, to build a youth group of 200 people or build a congregation of 2,000 people. But if we're not reaching them effectively for Christ, then that number is being led away from Christ. So to me, Yes, it's important to have a number. You need to know that for how many leaders, how many volunteers you need in your ministry, in your church. But it shouldn't be the first question. We can choose to touch only on easy topics and not ruffle feathers. But if our church doesn't do that, why would our youth group? Well, with a message so powerful and important as the light of Christ, we are sure to face opposition. Which leads us to our, our second point. Our first point was the clarity of the gospel. 
Second point is the opposition to the gospel. Every good story has a conflict, right? Anything worth doing isn't just simply going to be given to us. And so we come to verses 3 and 5 where we see Satan's attempt to blind unbelievers to the light of the gospel. Gospel is veiled to those who don't believe and Satan is the culprit. He's called the God of this age and has been given power from God. But that doesn't mean God isn't in control. Another commentary um, love what they said here. It says, you see, in our physical universe, the sun is always shining. We do not always see it. But the reason for that is something has come between the earth and the sun. From us and the sun, this time we see it less. It's the same thing with the gospel. The light of the gospel, guys, is always shining. God is always seeking to shine into the hearts of men. But Satan puts various barriers between unbelievers and God and tries to distract the believers. Anything that calluses our heart and keeps us from being humble. So this passage talks about jars of clay. And Satan can distract in any way he can or want to. So let's get some feedback. What are some ways that we become tough? What are some ways that our hearts become calloused? Let's get a couple answers here. I got a few of my own, but I want to hear what you guys think. Kids, this is your chance to speak up. Anything? What about, uh, it could be the cloud of pride. Unbelief. Greed, selfishness. Yeah, those are all good. What was that one? Jealousy, yeah. All of these make our hearts a little more calloused. Could be anger, could be bitterness, could be malice. And they all work to distract us to prevent the light from shining in or to prevent the light from shining out. And it works. Because when it comes time for God to use us, and he needs to shape us, the light that's inside of us can't get out. And we might get dented, we might get bruised, but God's light isn't going to shine. Right? Right? We allow these things to callous our hearts. A little bitterness here, a little self-righteousness there. And when God tries to use us to shine his light, we become tough on the outside and the light doesn't get out. We can't let this difficulty keep us down. Just like Paul says uh, in verses 8 and 9 of our passage. It wasn't included, but I just want to read it to you. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I love how the message translates this verse. Let me read it to you. And no, this translation isn't from the devil. And no, it's not watering down the verse. It can be used in a wrong way, yes. But it's simply a paraphrase of the Bible. Let me read this to you. 
We've been surrounded and battered by troubles, but we're not demoralized. We're not sure what to do. But we know that God knows what to do. We've been spiritually terrorized, but God hasn't left our side. We've been thrown down, but we haven't broken. What they did to Jesus, they do to us. Trial and torture, mockery and murder. What Jesus did among them, he does in us. He lives. Isn't that beautiful? What Jesus does among us, among them, he does in us. He lives. Just like 1 John 4, 4 says this, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Guys, it's a tough walk. And it's hard, but it's so worth it. It's not going to come easy. Satan wants to veil the eyes of as many people as he can, however he can. Those who try to believe without the light and guidance of the Spirit of Jesus are going to continue to be veiled. The God of this age has blinded the minds and eyes of unbelievers. But the light still shines. John Calvin writes it more beautifully than I could ever say it. it. says this. I think the quote's up on the screen. The blindness of unbelievers in no way detracts from the clearness of the gospel. For the sun is no less resplendent because the blind do not perceive its light. The sun is no less resplendent because the blind do not perceive its light. This falls perfectly in line with John 1.5 where it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness hasn't overcome it. Okay, here we go. We're at the climax. The part of the passage that gives me chills when I read it. Our final point this morning, number three. Let's go. A light in the darkness. Let's read verses 5 to 7 quickly, just to refresh your memory. And because it is so good, it's packed. Five to seven. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said that light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. See, God has given us his light to shine. We've been entrusted to carry it for him. Matthew 5, 14 and 15 affirms this. You can flip there if you'd like. Just a few books away. It says this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. See, the final verses of our passage this morning shows a major distance between two things, treasure and fragile jars. They don't go together. They shouldn't go together. Okay, the all-important message to humanity, we have this treasure, this light. And then Paul makes mention to the jars of clay and, and refers us to the jars of clay. 
And this is not without significance. So, we have the hardened clay pot, or technically the metal pot. It's not gold. We have, now we have another pot. This is a clay pot, terracotta pot. And what are some characteristics of a clay pot? Breaks really easily, okay? So it breaks, um, we're going to say fragile. Um, other things. What about, um, I'm going to, for the sake of a good word, I'm going to use humble, humble pot. I don't know. Right? It can be, another word for fragile is weak. Um, it's a pretty ugly pot. Um, I wouldn't put it in my living room. So we're going to say worn instead of ugly, for the sake of a better word. Right? Ordinary. It's got no beauty. Yeah, that's right. So when we're truly weak and ordinary before God, he can use that. It's not from anything we've done or any merit of our own, but through his surpassing power that his light can shine through us. He can't use bitterness or pride or malice. That makes us tough on the outside, and we'll see ourselves failing and falling as we try to pull the light out ourselves. When you are entrusted a treasure, your first thought is, how am I going to keep this safe, and how am I going to protect this? And your first thought isn't about putting it in a clay jar, an ugly, worn jar that's going to break easily. But this isn't God's first uh, priority. See, this month is all about God's light coming down in the shape and form of a babe in the manger and bringing light to a dark world. It's about shepherds, lowly shepherds who were led by light to come and worship the newborn king. It's about God's message to humanity. And if I'm going to cry, like I always do in every single sermon that I say, it's going to be in this kind of part here. It's on your bingo sheet. Here we go. Deep breath. Let's go. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29 says this, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And when we are frail and humble and ordinary before God, and I really hope this breaks, our light can shine through. And we can be used, we can be molded, we can be shaped for God. Not that we can boast, not that the world can see us, but that the world can see 
him through us. We will always come up with excuses. You know, and I'm no different. It's really easy, in fact. You know, I'm, I'm too busy. I'm not qualified. I don't speak well. My house is a mess. Can't have anyone over. And it just goes on and on and on. We can come up with excuses. That's not a problem. I'll just do more harm than good. I'll let someone else do it. Guys, you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be open and willing, and God will shape and mold you. God will do the rest. But if our hearts are callous before him, we can't be molded. We're frail vessels, and our first thought is that we're not worthy. Let's just leave it to the pastors, to the leaders, to the Chris Tomlins, to the Paul Baloshes. But God entrusts his message to frail vessels such as us. And we're weak and we're worn out. But God uses us. Paul spent the last two chapters building up to this point. And, and verse 7 just releases the tension of the last two chapters. Anything that's been built up releases this tension. And again, I just I, I love the way Eugene Peterson words it. Listen to this. Can I read you verse 7 in the message again? This is crazy. This is just beautiful. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary life. We carry this precious message around in the unadorned clay pots of our ordinary lives. You know what that means to me? Here's what I'm hearing. That the single mom who's just holding on is in the perfect spot to shine God's light. You may be, um, here we go again. It could be a husband who's lost a job. He doesn't know when your next paycheck is going to come. And you're in the perfect spot to shine God's light. You can come to church every week and be frail and beat up and bruised up and broken. You can be in the perfect spot to shine God's light. Your life can be in rough and jagged pieces. And you can be in the perfect spot to shine God's light. We're coming out of a season that's tough for people. A season that's hard. A season where a season where it's society tells us it's supposed to be magical and warm and fuzzy. And in reality, it's actually a very hard time for a lot of people. You know, maybe, uh, maybe you spent Christmas without a loved one for the first time or the second time, and, and Christmas is tainted for you. And maybe Christmas isn't your favorite 
and you're feeling worn down, and God can use you. I just read in the paper yesterday, article online about this 23-year-old guy and who served at the Caldas Lake Fire Department, suffered from PTSD, and his body was found on Christmas Day. He committed suicide. And people who knew him, they would, you, could, you could ask them, and they say, this guy was always happy, was always positive, was always fun-loving. But he suffered immensely. He lived in a dark world. And on a day that was supposed to be magical and awesome for his family is now tainted forever. Christmas will never be the same for that family again. They'll always have this memory of him. Darkness can hide in plain sight anytime, anywhere. So as we end this service, as we end the year, the band comes back up. Can I challenge you to preach? Can I leave you with a, challenge, a few challenges? Can I challenge you to preach the gospel as much as you can, with as much crystal clarity as we can, so that there's no watering down, there's no sugar-coated gospel. And can I challenge you to remain humble and weak before God so that his light can shine through? Can I challenge us I challenge us, you, to lay our pride aside and allow us to be shaped and molded and formed and malleable by God. Because that's the only way his message is going to get through. We can't be callous, guys. We can't remain tough. Let's pray. God, I just thank you for your word, for your love for the world, that you came down, you sent your son as a baby, and later on sent your son to die for our sins. Lord, that's the gospel, and we need it so bad. The world needs it so bad. And so, Lord, as we end this year, as we end 2019 and, and reach into a new decade, may you use us. May we allow you to be, to use us for your kingdom. We just praise your name. Amen.